There is no error with your audio outputs. Do not attempt to fix any sound issues. We are monitoring you with this device. We control your options and settings. We are transmitting through your internet connection, but our signal is actually entering your mind, sending electrical impulses into the very tissues of your brain. Try to stay calm. We've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. <clears throat> and welcome to another amazingly thrilling, most awesomeness podcast for uh, Paranoia Podcast, the Paranoia Podcast. Let me uh, excuse myself. Um, great guest tonight. I think we're going to talk about some really interesting stuff. Uh, but first, the usual, uh, hey, you guys are lazy. Um, we really need you to get on iTunes and uh, give us five-star ratings because of our awesomeness. Um, you know, check us out on Facebook, uh, Paranoia Magazine, uh, Instagram, uh, Paranoia Mags, and uh, Twitter, Paranoia Mag. Uh, tonight, um, I'm starting it out. I'm Olaf Phillips. I'm the editor and publisher of Paranoia Magazine. Uh, our our missing co-host, Ron Patton, our editor-in-chief, uh, will hopefully be dialing in later in this podcast, but if not, I'll do it solo and uh, do my best. I got some good feedback on the uh, the last one I did with Walter Bosley. Walter's awesome. And um, check out his book, Origins. It's It will blow your mind. It's a game changer, man. Well, anyway... So I'm going to get on with this podcast. Oh, don't forget, uh, um, 2000 UTC, 8 p.m. UTC, Sunday nights. We're on 6070 kilohertz shortwave or, you know, well, you obviously downloaded the podcast. So that being said, we have a, a very special guest tonight. Uh, Hercules Invictus has joined us. And uh, Hercules um, was brought yes, to my... Yes, Yes. Hercules was brought to my attention... Um, by Tim Beckley, and Tim Beckley is a legendary publisher and a friend, and he's an awesome guy. And I said, hey, Tim, you know, I'm looking for guests. And he had just put out a book um, with some references to Philip K. Dick and Vallis and the, all this. And he said, you know what, don't worry about all that. you got to talk to Hercules. Hercules is amazing, and he's got a story to tell. So I contacted Hercules, and he's, uh, he's on the phone with us now. Welcome, Hercules. Thank you. I'm honored to be here, Olaf. And uh, one can never say enough good things about uh, Timothy Green Beckley. He is an awesome individual. Um, he's been my hero for many years, and uh, it's great to be finally uh, working with him. Oh, yeah, I feel the same way. You know, I, I read a lot of his articles from way back in the various magazines that he edited and published, and, and I've, I've written in several of his books. I want to write in more. He always seems to tell me about five minutes too late. <laughs> but, no, he's he's amazing. And little known fact, um, I believe it's Tim, uh, Tim Beckley, that uh, is the source of the only known provable Men in Black photo that he 
he was uh, somewhere and they knew that the men in black were following them around and he popped out the door and in the doorway he took a photo and it's a photo of this guy dressed in black, the hat, the sunglasses, the whole thing in a doorway looking at him. So you guys should all check that out. That is awesome. And we share that word awesome, by the way. I noticed that you use that uh, a great deal as well. I do. I do. <laughs> I'm a child of the 80s. <laughs> Give me some Bananarama. <laughs> Actually, I, I really do like Bananarama. Anyway, so now Hercules, uh, obviously, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is the name. How, how did you come to be known as Hercules Invictus? Um, Greek people believe in giving their children long and unpronounceable names. <laughs> right. So I was given a long and unpronounceable name, and uh, I wound up getting stuck with all sorts of Anglo names because they couldn't deal with the name. Okay. And I didn't like any of them. Strong men back in the uh, 1800s and 1900s who had the same uh, Greek name, Panayotis, uh, it means dedicated to the queen of heaven, who uh, is okay. Panagia now. And in ancient Greek, uh, Hera or Ida was uh, the queen of heaven. So Heracles or Hercules uh, was dedicated to, to the queen of heaven in antiquity. So they translated the name that way. And I liked that a lot better than what I was getting stuck with. Uh, so I legally changed it. And it's made my life a lot easier in my interactions with people uh, because uh, uh, at some point that was the Greek guy with the unpronounceable name and uh, didn't quite like it. So now your name is literally Her uh, Hercules Invictus. It's on my driver's license. Wow. Uh, it, they changed my birth certificate. So, yes, that is, uh, that is who I've always been. Uh, but now that is who I legally am as well. Now, you said that that's who you've always been. Mm-hmm. So what do, what do you mean by that? Uh, I'm a Lemnian Greek. Okay. And the island of Lemnos um, was part of a pre-Greek empire of uh, the Pelasgi, the Pelasgians. And uh, during the time of the myths, it was the island of the Amazons that Jason and the Argonauts found. Sure. So Hercules was one of the Argonauts, uh, so they stayed there for a while. So since the days of the Roman Empire, at least, uh, Lendians have been celebrating, uh, uh, to anybody who listened, their descent from uh, the Argonauts and the Amazons and Hercules. When Hercules became a god, uh, when he ascended to Olympus, the first place he manifested uh, as a god was on the island of Lemnos during the Trojan War. Um, Odysseus went back there uh, to get the bow of Hercules from Philoctetes, who was bitten by a serpent, and he developed a wound that was uh, very noxious, so they left him there. Nice. So he was pretty pissed at them, and uh, they, they went to get the bow back, and he wouldn't give it until Hercules himself appeared and told him to please give uh, his bow to uh, Odysseus. Uh, so uh, I've always had that resonance through my heritage, uh, the fact that my name could be translated that way was uh, also uh, a great uh, resonance. And I grew up, I was born into and grew up during the Peplum era, uh, the sword and sandal era, some call it, when all those films came out. 
uh, with Hercules and Samson and um, Atlas and so forth. Yeah. Uh, the names were interchangeable, but it was big muscular guys, you know, right. who had adventures and uh, the mighty Sons of Hercules television show was playing in that Hercules cartoon. Uh, so um, I was totally immersed in it and identified very strongly with it. And I was sent to Greek parochial school. Now, the Greeks, even though they're uh, Orthodox Christians for the most part, they're very attached to their ancient history. So we learned ancient history, philosophy, mythology, and so forth. Uh, so a chunk of that education was spent focusing on the myths. And uh, I developed a very keen appreciation for the myths, and I liked them better than uh, uh, the more modern religion. Uh, which seemed a bit too dour for me, and I couldn't really resonate with it. But, but the myths, oh, I love them. They spoke to me, and they uh, uh, nurtured me, and they uh, gave me a worldview that uh, empowered. So uh, I've lived this my entire life, and I've always found different uh, ways of living it. Um, and uh, now I'm being very experimental. Our world is changing, so I must change with it and try new things. Well, I have to say that, that as I'm on Skype right now, I'm, I'm looking at a picture of Hercules. And I have to say that having visited his website, which is pretty awesome, and looking at that photo, you look like Hercules. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's fur or what, but you look like Hercules straight up. I wear fur. I wear those... Uh... Um, the peplum garb uh, that they wear in the sword and sandal films. I, I have different versions of it. Um, I wear my Olympian finery when I'm doing my heralding work for uh, the Tenderfly Chamber of Commerce. We welcome new businesses and uh, we wish them prosperity and success when they come into Tenderfly. How awesome is that? You know, you open a Froyo shop and Hercules is there. <laughs> That's right. And we have. We've done it for all sorts of stores. Uh, That's cool. Everything from gyms to bike, bicycle stores to pet shops to wow. yoga studios, you name it. And we welcome them. So, so now before we get to the crux of why Tim Beckley was like, you've got to interview this guy. Um, so you, you said that, that the old ways, the old religions resonated with you. So do you yes. actually, do you actually practice, I mean, as much as you can, right? Sacrificial stuff is kind no. of out the door, right? But, you know, as much as you can in a modern era, era you've adapted the old religion and you, you live by that? Um, in my own way, yes. I'm not a, uh, congregation kind of person. Um, I have practiced uh, various forms of uh, the ancient religion, uh, but I'm not very big on calendars or observances or holidays or things like that. So eventually I found uh, a system that's based on the wandering stars or the Astra Planita and is tied to the days of the week. And so every day is associated with a planet and so every day is a holiday, and I like that a lot better. So I've been practicing that for years, and it's worked better for me than any other system. Uh, and basically, it gives you a framework for focusing your energies. So Sunday is the day of the sun. So on that day, you focus on your, uh, your image, the external world, uh, the things that you would like the world to know about you, and so forth. And on Monday, that's the day of the moon, uh, you go internally, you uh, focus on your imagination and uh, how you're viewing things, your dreams and uh, so forth. Tuesday is sacred to Aries, 
the god of war. And uh, not that I'm a warrior type, but all of us have challenges. So on Tuesday, I focus on my challenges and uh, where I would like to um, defend my beliefs uh, a bit more or champion a cause. Uh, Wednesday is sacred to Hermes, who is, of course, the messenger of Olympus, the archangel of the gods. And on that day, I focus on uh, higher things, on how can I make my spirit soar? How can I get a broader perspective? How can I gain a greater understanding? Uh, Thursday is sacred to Zeus. And on that day, you look at the bigger picture. Uh, you look at your long-term plans. You look at the world you've created and how you can improve it. Um, and you look at the vision. You know, all of us have a, a vision of what we want our lives to be like. Are we living that vision? Friday is sacred to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. So I focus on relationships. And then Saturday is sacred to Saturn or Kronos, uh, the Titan, the Lord of Olympus during the previous uh, regime. And he's also known as Father Time. So Saturdays are a good day for letting go of things that are no longer working, uh, thinking about uh, what I need to accomplish and how I could budget the time to do it and so forth. So I found that that simple system, which was actually uh, practiced by people in antiquity, fulfills all my spiritual needs. And of course, you could think about these things on other days, but the day reminds you to at least spend some time thinking about that particular uh, area of your life. Well, it sounds like a very flexible system. I mean, I, yeah. I, yeah, I like the idea that, that, you know, each day represents something different and it, it kind of gives you a direction for that day. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, otherwise, you know, I just wake up late and <laughs> go to work. <laughs> I, I'm sure you don't. You've accomplished many great things. So uh, I... Maybe. <laughs> sure. We'll see <laughs> if I can get another issue out on time. <laughs> but you will get an issue out. And that's the important thing. Yeah, no, we'll get it out. In fact, uh, self-serving plug, uh, the spring-summer issue is coming. <laughs> it's about to I go to Yeah, it'll be awesome, I think. Uh, now, one of the things, let's, let's, let's cut to the chase. So one of okay. the things that, that was really interesting when Tim was telling me about you, um, and I'll, I'll get to why this is particularly interesting to me, is that he said, I might have gotten this wrong, but he said that, in your time on on this uh, this earth, that you have either you, you believe or have come actually come into contact with actual gods. Yes, uh, in Greek mythology, uh, the gods could be encountered. Uh, they often disguised themselves as mortals and uh, intermingled with us on a variety of uh, levels. Um, of course, Zeus's sexual escapades are uh, well known. Uh, uh, legendary. <laughs> yes. So the gods were like us and, and they could interbreed with us. So they were a type of humanity, but a grander humanity. And uh, throughout my lifetime, uh, I believe I've encountered embodiments of the Olympians on several uh, occasions. Um, I remember one time I was in my uh, late teens, early 20s, and uh, I was experiencing um, a lot of neo-theosophical and neo-theurgic type of uh, uh, groups in uh, New York City. And I was experimenting with deep trance uh, mediumship. And this is just one example. I was in uh, a park 
in uh, the West 80s. And uh, this uh, gentleman, he was black and uh, he seemed homeless. Um, he came and started speaking with me. And he did not smell very pleasant. He didn't look very pleasant. Uh, but I felt inside, you know, to basically respect him and to talk to him. So I spent some time uh, speaking with him. And uh, when we finished uh, speaking, he asked me why I didn't basically tell him to leave because, uh, you know, he recognized how he uh, appeared uh, by, and he knew what reactions he was getting from other people. I told him, I don't know. I said, I, I tend to be respectful of people generally, but uh, I felt something different about him and uh, it intrigued me. And at that point, he transformed uh, and he was still uh, a black gentleman, but he was clean and he was well-dressed and he was radiating a lot of power. And he told me that I did very well not to judge by appearances. So he transformed in front of you. Right in front of me, yes. And uh, the, the most common one that I've experienced repeatedly is on the island of Lemnos. Uh, whenever I go there, uh, outside of the town of Mudros is a small mountain shrine. And I climb up the mountain, and I'm always greeted by a young lady dressed in white. And um, she always knows what I've been doing, and we sit and we talk for quite some time, and then at some point I need to uh, return uh, back, and I'll say goodbye, and I will walk away, and then it will strike me that the encounter was odd, and I'll turn back, and she'll have touched the tree and then disappeared. And then I forget a lot of what we spoke of beyond the fact that we spoke and beyond the fact that uh, she knew what was going on. And this has happened every single time I've been to that shrine from childhood well into adulthood. And it's the same woman. It's the same woman, and uh, she's wearing white. And Greece uh, is very uh, barren and dusty. Uh, for the summer months, which is uh, the time I usually go there. And uh, her white clothing is never dirty. Uh, she hasn't aged. She hasn't changed her clothes. She's the same every single time. Uh, and uh, I still haven't figured out exactly what she is. And in antiquity, the gods did things like that. She might be a, a minor god, like a dryad or something, because uh, she's always touching the tree before she disappears and before it, it, I become aware that uh, this is an odd encounter. But while it's happening, it seems pretty normal, and I don't question it. It's only afterwards. That's strange. It is strange. Uh, I've spoken to people about the folklore of that particular shrine. There's nothing like it. The only connection I have to it is uh, the shrine was defaced uh, at some point during my mother's childhood. Uh, so my mother went up there during the police investigation, and and uh, uh, you know back then this was an, an event to uh, to watch. Not much goes on on Greek islands, but uh, that wouldn't explain uh, why this happens to me either. So I have no idea why this happens, but it keeps happening. That's strange. And and the 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 black gentleman. Who who do you think he was? Hermes, the messenger. That makes sense. Yeah, Hermes has appeared to me as a black gentleman throughout my life. He's also taken on other forms, uh -huh. um, but most commonly uh, in dream and also uh, the times I've encountered him in the waking world, uh, he's uh, most often been uh, a black gentleman. Now, the reason that it's interesting to me when, 
when Tim brought that up is that you're not the first person that's told me that not meaning the, the first person that's told me that, that the gods of antiquity walk the face of the earth. You know, I've, I've had people tell me that Norse gods, uh, they've met Norse gods or communicated with Norse gods, um, on several occasions from several different people. And I'm, I'm Scandinavian, right? So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, I attract the Norse gods, but very awesome. (laughs) But it's, it's interesting because it's not something you commonly think about. You know, I'm, I'm a normal guy. I went to school. I went to college. You know, for me, I studied uh, physical and cultural anthropology. And for me, you know, we, we studied comparative religion and we talked about, you know, myth, myth, and we talked about belief systems and, you know, we were very abstracted from it because we dealt with all kinds of religions, right? From, you know, paganism, Druidism, Mm -hmm. whatever. So we were always somewhat detached from it. But what I find interesting is that multiple people have told me this same kind of encounters where they'll be doing something mundane, like they'll be fishing and out of nowhere, a guy will walk up to them and and just start talking to them. And it's never, it's very interesting the way you describe it, because it's never like some, some guy walks up and says, hi, I'm Thor. Uh This is my hammer. How are you? It's more like some guy walks up and you're fishing and guy says, Hey, how's it going? Talks to you like a normal person. You have some sort of deep metaphysical conversation and then he he leaves and then it's like wait a minute i think that was thor you just kind of know and yes then, and then you can't remember what you talked about that that is a very odd uh, and and disturbing feeling uh and then when it happens again you forget about it happening and being weird before it just seems very normal until uh it's no longer happening um as an aside one of the things that I've been focused on my entire life, and I'm involved in a lot of interfaith type work now, is uh, in antiquity, the uh, Greeks, the Romans, and other Mediterranean people, they would form bridges by people, uh, with people by linking uh, their gods. So they would see a, a muscular, strongman god. Oh, yeah, you guys have Hercules. They'd see a thunder god. Oh, you have uh, uh, Zeus. And so forth, and this is called interpretatio, and um, this allowed them to build a bridge and understand and communicate. So they equated many gods with each other, uh, and they had all sorts of colorful stories to account uh, for it. Like, for instance, uh, during the war with Typhon, the Greek gods fled to Egypt, and they wore masks. So they would uh, correspond their uh, Greek gods with the Egyptian gods and say that they were the same except they were wearing animal uh, masks in uh, Egypt. And that's how they explained it. So I have been studying for my entire life all the different cultural iterations of uh, Hercules because that's my operant archetype, that's my tutelary spirit, uh, my divine ancestor because I'm a Lemnian Greek. So um, uh, that has been at the core of my spirituality for my entire life. And I spent uh, over 10 years uh, studying uh, the Celto-Norse mysteries because Hercules appears uh, in the Celtic mysteries as the Dagda, uh, Ogmios, 
and uh, also uh, the Greek Hercules was said to have had a son named Celtus, who was the father of uh, the Celtic peoples. And in Norse mythology, it was uh, more earlier Donar, uh, and the club of Donar evolved into the hammer of Thor, and later on Donar uh, became Thor. So I spent uh, a lot of time studying this, and I study things by living them. So I actually adventured as Thor the Barbarian for a while, and uh, I wound up having a fringe uh, cable TV show and uh, uh, becoming a, uh, a strange consultant in New Jersey and New York. So it was quite an adventure, uh, but I immersed myself totally to understand why they were linked in antiquity. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's that's a very good point that the ancient Romans and the ancient Greeks, you know, they, they constructed the Pantheon. And that, that is one of the ways, especially with the the Germanic uh, groups, the Goths, Visigoths, and the, the mm -hmm. Norse. That's how they try to – they had problems with them because they were, quote, unquote, barbarians. Um, and they, they didn't like people telling them what to do. <laughs> but but that's how they try to bridge the gap. At least that's the part I remember. Now, it's it's also interesting because uh, the, the best one I ever heard – and I actually saw this one on a documentary – there was a, a fisherman, <clears throat> and he was of Scandinavian descent, and he was out uh, off the east coast somewhere deep in the ocean on his boat with his crew, and they were fishing, and this really bad storm uh, developed, and they could see it in the distance, and they were like, we got to get out of here. You know, we're going to sink, right? And so <clears throat> they turned the boat around, and they put that thing on full throttle. The only problem is that fishing boats at full throttle at least when this occurred back in the 60s or the 70s, you know, they're not super fast, right? And mm -hmm. so, so the, the storm kept coming at them and coming at them. And, you know, they're getting into the outer waves of the storm and the, the boat's going up and down and people are getting thrown around. And these guys are all like, you know, we're going to die out here. But, uh, hey, at least we're going to die in the ocean. You know, we're fishermen. And then the, the uh, captain of the boat says that he, and they had a, like an action reenactment, which was really cheesy but awesome. Again, awesome. Um, <laughs> he, he looks out the window and he sees a face in the ocean, in the swirling waves. He sees this face, and he didn't need anybody to tell. You know, he's he's not. He doesn't follow the the Norse religion, but he didn't need anybody to tell him who it was. He just kind of knew. Mm -hmm. And and it was the the Norse god of uh, of seafarers and fishing, and somehow the god communicated to him, "You're going to be okay. Steer it to this heading." So of course he's got nothing to lose, so he turns it to that heading, and about two minutes later the seas are calm, and they looked out away from the ship, the boat, and they can see the clouds swirling, and they can see, you know, lightning and thunder and massive waves. And they were in like a bubble. It was almost like being stuck in the eye of the storm. And they were pretty much in the eye of the storm the whole way home. And when wow. they, Yeah, and when they, got, when they got like 10 miles off the coast, you know, something that was, I, I dare say, almost swimmable, the guy, <laughs> the guy appeared to, the god appeared to them again in the water. And he said something in, in, in Norse. And then he said, you will, you will, you know, get Obviously, it's going to be more colorful than anything that I can come up with. I'm a technocrat. 
but uh-huh. it was something to the effect of go forth and you will journey back to your home your home village with with safety and pride or something like that <laughs> and, and they get back they, and they get back and about 15 minutes after they get back the storm is hitting the place and they go into like the local bar and there's a quite a quite a chunk of this documentary these guys are talking they go in a local bar and like well how did you make it back and they don't want to tell anybody they're like i don't know we just kind of came back and and it it was like it took them like five hours less than it should have i mean the whole thing was very jagged and weird and um it turns out that like three fishing boats had gone down in that storm. Wow. And they were supposed to be number four, but for some reason this Norse God had appeared to them in the ocean and said, you dudes are going to be okay. So, you know, we kind of, we kind of dismiss this notion that, that God's walked the face of the earth. But, you know, I'm increasingly hearing these stories, you know, from people I know or people I interact with. So when he told me that I was very, very interested and and I got I got to ask. I mean, you've had these sure. interactions. I, I understand the the woman in white. You know, you can't remember b- what you talked about. But you know, over all, the, it sounds like you've had a number of them. Over these interactions, has information been passed to you, or has it set you on a course? Or I mean, it has to have some sort of an effect on you. Um, yes and no. Sometimes the course is not clear till many years later. Um, I'll give you an example because I'm, I'm currently writing about this, although it happened uh, when I was in my teens. Uh, when I was in my late uh, teens, my family moved to northeastern New Jersey. And uh, I was already finishing high school in uh, New York. I stayed with some relatives so I could uh, do that because I'd been living in New York all my life until then. And um, I love to walk. So I would walk from the Bronx to northeastern New Jersey. And uh, I was also doing the deep trance mediumship, which I mentioned earlier. So I had uh, uh, sitters who would come and I would let different spirits uh, speak through me. So during one of these uh, sittings, um, I I went back to New Jersey and uh, there was a big storm. So the bus didn't, didn't even go all the way down to uh, the town where I was living, but, uh, you know, let us off. So I'm walking in the snow, and I got into the town. And uh, at the time, I was very sensitive to uh, elementals or nature spirits. Uh, so they became very uh, visible. So as I was walking, I started looking at the forces of nature around me, the forces of snow and storm and so forth. And uh, they started becoming objectified and and, and personalized as human type of uh, creatures. Uh, they were odd, but they were humanoid. Uh, so I started experiencing that. And... Um, that adventure, which uh, became very dangerous, and I could have died in the snow, um, led to my encounter with the sky god. It was a god that was all blue. And he conveyed a lot of things uh, to me. Uh, and maybe promise I would share uh, this uh, story of my encounter, which you're getting an abridged version. I've, I've published a couple of versions of it uh, in e-zines and on my website and so forth. Um, but... Uh, I went and initially I wrote uh, something about it. I polished it up. I tried publishing it uh, and it just kind of sat there for most of my life. 
And now that I've come uh, back to northeastern New Jersey, uh, the memory of all that came back very vividly. And uh, I finally understood who this blue god uh, was, this sky god. And uh, uh, it took a lifetime to kind of figure that out. And that set a course for my life. So everything I'm doing uh, from this particular point on uh, stemmed from that encounter I had as a uh, teen or someone in their early 20s. So what, what did he tell you? Abridged. He talked about uh, the environment and talked about how, uh, though I would not be able to see it uh, then, there were going to be sweeping changes uh, to the Earth's uh, climate. Uh, and the Earth would eventually become very different. And that it was very important for me to get involved in this struggle uh, and to fight for the forces of uh, nature uh, before the reality shifted. So uh, part of what I've been doing, and I do a lot beyond that, has been uh, lending my energies to uh, uh, environmental projects. So, so when he appeared to you, I, this is very interesting to me. So when you saw the elementals, right, and you're walking through a snowstorm, I guess, when you saw them, I mean, what, where did you see them? Uh, all around, the same way if, if you're attuned to the elementals or the fairies, as some people call them, uh, you, you see them. They're like in the trees and the stones and, and so forth. And it depends where your resonances are, what you're going to see. They're very imitative. Um, I've seen elementals take the form of like tiny cars and zoom all over the place. So they can appear like uh, cars as well as people. Uh, sometimes they take even more uh, bizarre forms. Uh, they can alter their appearance, but they're everywhere. It's like uh, it's like people are everywhere. Really? That's Sometimes they look very abstract, uh, and other times they look very uh, solid. Um, and uh, they do respond. Uh, I remember last time I went to Central Park, there used to be a tree there that I used to uh, uh, be very attuned with, and we used to communicate during meditation. And I'd uh, frankly forgotten about the tree, but I was walking down uh, uh, through the park, and I felt this like big wave of energy. And I turned around, and there was a tree. <laughs> so the tree remembered me. So I went and meditated for a while, um, and uh, we caught up with uh, each other. But uh, uh, with a lot uh, of the guises of elementals and other forces of nature, uh, they're very accommodating to what you expect uh, to see. That's interesting. A lot of times. So uh, uh, it's like dreams. If you train yourself in uh, Jungian psychology, you'll have Jungian dreams. If you uh, follow Edgar Cayce, you'll have Edgar Cayce-type dreams, you know, Freud, Freudian dreams. So uh, our, the, the dreams are very accommodating uh, and will communicate with you in a way that you understand. And it's the same way with a lot of the folklore figures. They'll do much, very much the same. Right. Like you were saying that, you know, you were – you were uh, <clears throat> the the black man came up to you and and you were interacting with him. You, you know you didn't expect to see this. You know Hermes dressed up. You know with no, the, I didn't. No. You saw you saw a normal person, but then they transmorphified in front of you. Correct, the, the, and the person was down on their luck, and yeah. uh, they seemed to be having a very bad time. And it, it was a type of interaction where the normal reaction would be to tell the person to go away. But something inside me told me, no, you know, don't, 
do that. I would have politely told them to go away, but uh, that was my initial impulse. But uh, um, something deeper told me, no, don't don't ask him to leave. You know, what's interesting about that, um, I, I've never, <clears throat> I've seen strange things in my life, but I've, I've never kind of witnessed anything like that. But I did, I did see something really odd once that is similar, but the person wasn't there. I was a, I was a teaching assistant for an archaeology class and at my local junior college, <clears throat> and we did a we did a dig uh, on the side of Mount Diablo, which is a very that's um, a big mountain in the middle of the valley where I live, and it's it's a genuine mountain. I mean, it's really tall, <laughs> but it's called the Mountain of the Devil. <laughs> the Devil, yes. Yeah, great, right? And there's there's a whole folklore of why it's called Mount Diablo and it's haunted and there's a there's a spirit that dwells within it called Pui, but um, the, the local Native Americans believe that Pui lives on it and manifests as like a black uh, like a black leopard. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so we were doing this dig up there and we were just looking at an you know an early Native American like a hunting site. <clears throat> we we're finding a lot of uh, church cores that were used to make arrowheads. We we're finding a lot of projectile, uh, projectile heads, you know, spear points, arrow points, whatever. And in the process of, uh, of trying to expand the dig and we, you know, we found obviously small game bones and I mean, all the things you'd expect from a campsite. We even found carbon residue, uh, from a fire, but, uh, awesome. Yeah. It was pretty cool for, for a young, uh, archeology stu- student, but, um, you can't always find a skeleton, right? <laughs> <laughs> but what's what's interesting about that is that when we were clearing the site, uh, we came upon a, a thicket of like, they weren't like bushes. They were more like low trees. And these trees had formed into like a, like a dome. Mm-hmm. And we went and looked inside because we could see stuff in there. And it was basically a homeless encampment that some homeless guy was living there. And it, it, it was interesting because it was kind of, it was, kind of out of the way you know you had to walk a little bit to get there from the road um probably about a mile maybe maybe three quarters of a mile to get there um and it was up above it was up above a uh, golf course which was humorous but when we actually we didn't you know you find a homeless encampment it's not something you particularly want to go through um and we we decided you know i said look this is some guy's house we really should just leave it alone Mm-hmm. You know, let's, we don't need to disturb it. He's going to come back someday. Let's let him have his stuff, you know, wherever he put it. But we did notice a series of, um, I don't know how to put it. They're like binders, binders, composition books, etc. And basically what this guy had been doing is he would go and get books from the library, right? And he would translate them into old English. Wow. Yeah. And his old English was like immaculate. One of the guys could read it because, you know, uh, note, note to the wise, old English is not English. It's, it's different. (laughs) If you haven't seen it, it looks very different. (laughs) You know, there are things you can pick out, but it's more like pigeon, pigeon old English for you and me. But one of the guys had a fascination with it and he could actually read it. I mean, you're dealing with people who like history, right? Or Mm -hmm. archaeology students. Well, he could read it, and what he had figured out is that this guy was literally translating books. He would just go get books, history books or biographies or whatever, 
And he was literally painstakingly translating them into proper old English. And, and the message seems to be the same, that uh, things are not always what they appear to be. That right. uh, we have a judgment inside our head based on our conditioning and uh, uh, our experience. And then that might not be what's going on at all. Here you have a scholar who's uh, yes. like a hermit in the woods. And, exactly. You got it. And it, and it was, it was really um, shocking. Because here you have, you know, we're, we're archaeology students. We want to dig up bones and stuff. But, you know, you come, as chance would have it, and I'm sure you could argue about chance and destiny. But, as you know, as chance would have it, we come across this encampment. And, I mean, this guy must have been brilliant. I mean, we, we had a very long conversation amongst us, you know, um, about what it would take to be able to, to be that literate in old English. And the, this guy had to have advanced degrees to be able to achieve this. So actually it's, as you said, you know, it's the hermit in the woods. And after that, we really just left it alone. You know, we really just respected it and walked mm -hmm. away. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting to me, you know, and, and I, I'm curious. So, you know, obviously you're, you're of Greek descent yes. from, from Lemnos, which is significant. And and the Greek gods manifest to you. Now, are are all and I, I obviously understand that the linkages, you know, Odin, Woden, right? Correct. Zeus Zeus, whatever. But so I'm assuming that since I'm I'm of Scandinavian descent and I've traced my lineage well back into, you know, that, that time period <clears throat> then I would I wouldn't normally as a person, I would anticipate that a Norse god would appear to me is perhaps but not necessarily uh, so it's it's like the tale you told of the sailors right um, although uh, um, the Norse god of the sea may have been uh, part of their heritage um, and part of the story of their people uh, he wasn't spiritually their god they didn't no. worship him yeah absolutely not so whatever reasons he had, uh, they remain enigmatic uh, even uh, now. And the same with, uh, I found the Greek gods. Uh, the Greek gods do not only appear to uh, Greek people. I had a recent uh, incident. Uh, this was uh, very interesting as well, and we've done several uh, radio shows on it. I have an e-radio show myself, The Voice of Olympus. And um, awesome. I, I had this uh, vision during my meditation of Zeus, and it was like that uh, ancient statue of Zeus, uh, the giant one that was in Olympia, uh, very uh, uh, whites and golds and, you know, uh, very regal, um, very, very regal. It was awe-inspiring. And uh, this uh, image of Zeus, and Zeus is not one of the um, Olympians that I resonate with especially, um, but uh, the, the resonance was very strong. And uh, Zeus, uh, you know, basically told me that I had father issues. So I told him that's true, that uh, most people I know have uh, father issues. <laughs> they're part of our literature. They're part of our uh, uh, culture. So, uh, yes. Uh, so he pointed out that I'm a father myself. And I, um, having the uh, white coyote um, which is now part of yourself, uh, speak to you, um, it's not an odd thing to be doing uh, because it's that resonance. It's a part of you that attached to the meaning. And uh, the imaginal coyote will explain uh, what its meaning was and what it was trying to tell you. 
Very interesting. Yeah, a lot of times in my dreams or even in my uh, waking life, uh, I'll be puzzled by uh, an event or uh, an occurrence or an individual, uh, human or non-human. And I've always found that uh, that might not be what was uh, in, like if I have an animal encounter, in the animal set, I have no way of knowing. Uh, but in terms of how I interpreted it and what I decide to do with what happened and how it allowed it to inspire me or, or guide me, uh, that that was an appropriate thing to do. Yeah, the, the other thing that I was thinking about doing, because for me personally, um, and again, I'm, I'm talking about this white coyote that I saw walk down the middle of the street. It was very, it didn't, the thing about that coyote is that it, like I said, it was it was beautifully, like radiant white. And it, it was well fed and it wasn't mangy or rabid and it was it walked very slowly. It was very bizarre. I've I've spent long amounts of times in the forest and in, in nature and I've never seen a coyote that literally walked like eight feet away from me and ignored me. I mean it didn't ignore me, it acknowledged me and then it ignored mm -hmm. me. And but one of the things about me as a person is that commonly when I have a conundrum or a problem, and especially, you know, when I'm working on something, I part of what I have to do in my professional life is to architect uh, com computer systems. And commonly what I'll do is I try to, to do, um, I forget the term for it, but it's like dreaming with intent. So yes. when I go to sleep, I'll tell myself, okay, I need to solve this problem. Like, you know, I need more, I need to be able to scale something horizontally, anything, any computer geek guys out there, you'll know what I'm talking about, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's this idea of being able to make something, add additional capacity to it horizontally versus adding additional things, resources vertically. So it's a, anyway, so I'll go to bed with that in, in my head. And I'll have a dream about it, and I don't even necessarily remember the dream, but when I wake up in the morning, I have the solution. That is an awesome talent you've cultivated and very useful. It is. It's saved my ass more than once. <laughs> <laughs> I could, dude, I, I could tell you a story that would bore the pants off of you. But basically, the, the greatest day that I ever used this, I, I, had a uh -huh. I had a problem. And our servers were basically, our computers were basically... Uh, this, the operating system was seizing. It just seized up and stopped responding. And it was a huge problem. And I got all the vendors related to it, the guys who made the hardware, guys who made the software, guys who made the storage, guys who made the network, were all on the phone. <clears throat> and I'm on the phone with my cohort, a guy by the name of Jerry. And, and I'm, I basically have had enough at this point. I'm, I'm a very senior engineer. Mm -hmm. I've, I've had it. I mean, I have so had it with this problem. It's been going on for like a month. You know, management is getting down on us. You, you know, these things are dropping out. I mean, we had additional capacity. You know, we weren't like things weren't going down exactly, but it's just bad. Right. And so I, I get these dudes on the phone. I say, OK, everybody, we're going to solve this now. No more BS. We're going to solve this right now, and we're going to stay on the damn phone until it's solved, right? Mm -hmm. 17 hours later, I was on a WebEx conference call for 17 hours. 17 hours later, 
two of the guys have passed out and fallen asleep. They're snoring <laughs> on the phone. The problem is still not solved. They're all pointing fingers at each other, and I'm like, you know what? This is going nowhere. 17 hours on a phone call is more than enough for me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. So I get off the phone. I'm, ex- I'm completely exhausted. I'm, my brain is a wreck, right? And I said to myself, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to solve it. I'm going to solve it. I'm going to solve it. So I go to sleep thinking I'm going to solve it. I'm going to solve it. I'm going to solve it. I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning still groggy because 17 hours on the phone sucks. But I had a solution. I said, you know what? I think it's this. And and then I, I worked it out with my cohort, and we figured out a way to test it. And guess what? Boom. There it was. That is impressive. Yeah. I was very excited. <laughs> I didn't know my brain could do such things. But I'm thinking that maybe that's what I need to do with this white coyote, that I need to go to sleep. I need to think to myself, who is the white coyote? And see what that's happens. That's what works for you. So do, yeah, definitely do that. Yeah. See, see, Ron. If you if you want to meet if you want to meet somebody, yeah, you know, you just gotta gotta open your mind, man. Well, what I find interesting <laughs> is when I was younger, like five, six, seven years old, I would have this reoccurring dream about this uh, woman, like some Amazon woman with long dark hair, who mm-hmm. would always cradle me in her arms. I mean, it, it was kind of a a very secure feeling. It was almost sensual in some ways. But uh, I would just wake up and I, it's like, wow, where is this person? But, I mean, she was sort of like, you know, a Wonder Woman type figure. And mm-hmm. I could never really figure out, like, why she always came up in my dreams. And about the time it stopped, when I was seven, I had this really profound epiphany of how the reality was, you know, it was like all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, so everybody's pretty much fake or act, you know, doing all these role-playing things, Uh and I was disappointed in my parents and everything else, but it was just so interesting because there's this woman who would always be appearing in my dreams and, uh, you know, making me feel secure, and then boom, I have this revelation of how reality is. I don't know. I guess maybe you're more impressionable at a younger age and, you know, you can, it's easier to do something like that. Yes. Uh, a lot of people I know uh, when they were younger were able to do amazing things uh, with their dreams and they've lost the abilities. They've gotten older. Mm-hmm. Um, this, uh, our focus is elsewhere and we're told these things uh, aren't real or they can't happen or uh, um, a variety of reasons. Uh, but uh, if you had that ability once, you could definitely uh, cultivate that again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had s- some things that are similar to that, but just for whatever reason, it just seems so real. And I'd wake up feeling like, oh, man, I wish this woman was around, <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> I mean, I, I had this sense of, of security. And, she may uh, be out there somewhere, or she may be uh, somebody uh, who's connected with you from a previous life, or uh, um, on the astral, or uh, just because she'd appear only in dreams doesn't mean she's not real. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I experiment with altered states a lot, and uh, um, I uh, 
um, a friend of mine who was part of the Transmedium days, uh, uh, this was a long time ago, came back from uh, California. She had moved out there. So we were walking around talking about, uh, you know, what is reality? Because when you uh, get into uh, like a Transmedium type of group or a magical group or a, a ritual group, um, reality becomes very different because uh, the people in the group perceive reality in a different way and it gets reinforced. So you find yourself living like in a different reality. So we're discussing like what is real actually. Mm-hmm. And um, we uh, spent some time in the city, went to the Mexican restaurant we used to go to, walked around Central Park, then we came uh, back to my home. So we're sitting at the kitchen table. And uh, the topic came up again. And I was saying, well, look at the window. You know, the window has some smudges on it. It's not 100% clean. Uh, look right. at the curtains. There's dust motes in the sunlight. And look at the table we're sitting at. This table is solid. And I picked up my uh, fist and I hit the table like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it hurt. Um, but I woke up. So that taught me very powerfully that I have no fucking idea. <laughs> really. Right reality is you know uh-huh. you couldn't have been taught more powerfully uh, so uh, as I test reality to experience lucid states and so forth um, it you don't always get when it's real and in terms of being like on the beta brainwave level the waking level because uh, mm-hmm. sometimes dreams seem very real and other times uh, reality seems uh, very strange oh yeah well it's just like having flying dreams um, mm-hmm. off and on I'll have those and it's sort of like, uh, you know, I'm like trying really hard to stay afloat and then move fast. And then like people are looking up and it's like, what? they're going, wow, what the fuck, man? Look at that guy. And they're pointing at me. And I'm going, oh, yeah. And, you know, I'd show off and do a few tricks. And then uh, there'd be times when I'd actually wake up and be in a sweat. You know, so it's like, was I really flying somewhere or what the heck, you know? But, uh, yeah, it seems to be kind of sporadic when I have those. They're, they're, they're not consistent, but, you know, like a year will go by, and then all of a sudden, wow, you know, I'll have two or three nights where I'm just flying. That's awesome and a lot of fun. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's always kind of like, for whatever reason, it's like, hey, folks, look at me. I, and then, you know, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, they're looking, and they're just like, Wow. How is he doing that? <laughs> just, I mean, just staying afloat, you know? And the funny thing is, is when, when you become like a dream, like uh, I had this dream once uh, where I was on a train with mm-hmm. uh, two friends that I had worked with. I was working in the hospital at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I realized that I was uh, dreaming because uh, the uh, number of the train or the letter of the train wasn't uh, the right number to go to the destination where we're going. Mm-hmm. So I started questioning reality, and I decided that, uh, okay, this is a dream. So I became lucid. Right. So I tried explaining to them that we're dreaming, and they were saying, nah, you know, we're not dreaming. And I said, watch <laughs> this. And I right. made the train fly, fly like a rocket. Uh-huh. Zoom around. I said, oh, look, you know, um, uh, we're dreaming. And they agreed that we must be dreaming. But it okay. never occurred to me that they were dream characters, Mm-hmm. You know, like like I knew that I was dreaming in the dream, and uh, by being lucid, I could do amazing things. But it never occurred to me that all the other people in the dream were dream characters too, and that they weren't real either. So it's always a weird logic that you fall into uh, during those type of experiences. 
Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, we've been on the phone for a while now, and it's getting super late for you. I don't. Your time is very precious. We know that. As is yours. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, so, how can people find out more about you? Uh, they can go to my website. It's uh, www.herculesinvictus.net, H-E-R-C-U-L-E-S-I-N-V-I-C-T-U-S. And, and uh, I, I know you also do personal appearances? I do all sorts of things. Uh, okay. My my life is uh, you know basically uh, how can I live mythically and uh, I, like I always experiment with uh, things that uh, sound interesting. Um, I did today two workshops. Uh, one was uh, um, basically discovering your destiny, how to live a life uh, with passion and purpose. Uh, I spent uh, around thirty five years of my professional life in the vocational arena, helping people decide what to do. And I was always doing unusual things. And um, I'm very eccentric, uh, and I found ways of uh, you know getting paid to do these unusual things. So uh, nothing that they could come up with was as strange as what I was doing. So <laughs> that was kind of like what uh, I, I teach with that. Uh, then we have Mythic Adventure in the Dream Realms, and uh, for over six months we've been having these uh, continuous workshops uh, that uh, um, you know focus people on dreams and doing things uh, with their dreams. Like uh, you two guys shared, like really awesome things they do do uh, with their dreams. Right now I'm doing the Paranoia Podcast, which is yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, on Saturday. Uh, I'm doing uh, the Golden Fleece on the World Tree at the Amber Dragon in Branchville. And that's been going on for over a year now, too. First, we did uh, the astral, uh, the planets. Uh, Now we're doing the Golden Fleece, but we found our Golden Fleece. So that's going to be winding down soon, too, and then we'll do something else. And uh, then on Sunday, I'm at an art gallery, and uh, somebody published a uh, book on the hero within type of uh, thing. And uh, they used comic book art for that. So the comic book art is at an art gallery. And uh, I'm present and I help people find their inner hero and so forth. I like that. Uh, so th- those are the types of things I do. I am the official herald of new business for our Chamber of Commerce. Uh, uh, I go uh, to other types of events uh, here locally. And, uh, yeah, pretty much whatever ideas I can come up with and whatever ideas other people come up with, I'm game. Well, I'll tell you, I definitely got to get you back on because I want to do the hero within. I, you Thank know, you. That's a, that's an important thing, and that's a whole show by itself. <laughs> I, I would be very honored to Olaf. That'd be that'd be awesome. Well, uh, <clears throat> that's another uh, thrilling uh, paranoia podcast. Um, I am Olaf Phillips. This is Ron Patton on the horn with me, Ron. All right. Well, everybody, take good care and keep the faith. And remember, uh, be excellent to one another. And Facebook, Paranoia Magazine, ParanoiaMagazine.com, ParanoiaPublishing.com, Instagram, Paranoia Mags, Twitter, Paranoia Mag. Please reach out to us. We love you for listening. And uh, be excellent to one another. Thank you for listening See to later. Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Sponsored by Paranoia Magazine. Read it now. Paranoiamagazine.com Intro theme, The Guide. 
is composed by Scott Moon. ScottMoon.net. Outro theme, Fighting Trousers, is by Professor Elemental. ProfessorElemental.com. Voiceover written and performed by Mr. Lobo, host of Cinema Insomnia. Watch new episodes on OSI 74. Visit us at osi74.com. We are resuming control. For now.